You are now listening to the Fat Fix Podcast with David Flowers, a show talking about all things fat loss and health for the general population. Helping people understand why they are in the position they're in right now, rather than just focusing on what they need to do. Your no-nonsense personal trainer friend that you can have access to in your pocket whenever you need some help, guidance or just to kick up the arse. Hello and welcome to the Fat Fix podcast for episode number 31. Today I welcome back two previous guests, Gabrielle Fundaro and Shannon Beer. In this episode we talk about intuitive eating and the importance of weight neutral approaches to help combat people's unhealthy relationships and behaviours with food. Gabrielle and Shannon are working hard to bridge the gap between diet culture and non-diet culture. This was a fantastic discussion talking about effective coaching strategies for client evolution. So without further ado, this is episode number 31, Change from the Inside Out. Gabrielle, Shannon, welcome back to the Fat Fix podcast. Thank you. I know that you've both been on before. Um, Gabrielle, we spoke about um, that gut feeling. And Shannon, Mm -hmm. you've come on the show talking about leaving behind my fitness pal, which was very, very good. And I'm sure we'll touch on a few things that will kind of correlate to that podcast. So I won't have you going into an introduction to anyone that's not listened to any of them. Definitely jump on and listen to them ones. But we're going to start off today's episode speaking about something that's really missing within the industry um, something that's becoming ever so more important we're going to be talking about intuitive eating and we're going to go into a rabbit hole of what you girls have been doing so just to kick us off it'd be good to go into what have you both been doing recently you've come together and that's obviously why i've got you on the podcast today so yeah if you want to share with the listeners what you girls have been doing and putting your heads to that'd be great yeah so um we started a series called bridging the gap Uh, This was inspired by some conversations that I witnessed on Instagram and Facebook um, between individuals that were debating about the utility of intuitive eating and weight neutral approaches, um, but from a place of sort of um, misunderstanding and misconceptions and misapplication. And I thought, wow, I keep seeing this pattern of folks having debates about what they think these things are, and those are not actually the things that they think they're debating. And so I started by writing a piece on um, the overlap between, you know, where we're using intuition in training and eating, and even to some extent in coaching. And I was focusing on the phenomenon of uh, interoceptive awareness, which is our ability to uh, assess changes in our internal physiological environment. And this is a way that we can determine our physical readiness for change and therefore auto-regulate our program. So we can tell if we're hungry, tired, soreness versus pain, mind-muscle connection, pump, and all of the things like that. And I really wanted to bring it beyond that. And I started having these discussions with Shannon and we were like, you know what, this is something that really needs to be addressed. And it's more than just this, you know, just this one sort of niche area, we can expand this to so much. And so we put to like, we just started making outlines and it's just a lot to say. <laughs> it is, it is. But, um, so we're trying to improve the dialogue in the industry so that people are actually informed about these topics. And I think it's gone even beyond that you know beyond just uh, just informing because now we're starting to really see that there's a need for a movement and a paradigm shift in the industry you know we're moving away from sort of the traditional care model where the coach is the expert just giving information to the client and you know we say oh well it's just calories in versus calories out you have to want it bad enough that's not sufficient that is not going to evoke behavior change in an individual and on the other hand we also have sort of a lack of accountability and responsibility ability as as coaches in the industry and we're not um, allowing our clients to provide informed consent and so um, we've sort of now are you know have developed this framework um, that we are are calling conscientious coaching and so we're in the process of uh, compiling a, a lot of information from various areas of health psychology um, and and even my background in in motivation and in education and teaching and learning um, and uh, coming up with a framework you know for 
for improvement in the quality of coaching for the betterment of our clients' outcomes. And we can't tell you how many people have messaged saying that they struggled with a crap coach in the past and they're still stuck in a restrictive mindset. Um, They're tracking their macros and wanting to move away from it, but then they're also scared that if they stop doing that, they're going to either lose the progress that they've made so far or get worse in their opinion, whatever that means. And part of the Bridging the Gap series was to raise awareness of these weight neutral approaches, but also to let people know that these goals are valid goals and you have to be in a good frame of mind in order to successfully lose fat. So fat loss itself is more than just eating less. It's about all the other things that are going on. And what coaches fail to realize is that often eating behaviors reflect your um, relationship with yourself. It involves your relationship with your food. And if we're not being careful, then we, we're not facilitating adaptive behaviors. We can actually be facilitating pathological behaviors. And that's what we really want to avoid. We should be aiming to help people and improve their health, which may include fat loss. We can still have goals to work towards, but we have to do so in a sustainable way. And health is far more than just about how you look. It's about how you feel. Um, And across more than just the physical domains, you've got the psychological domain as well, which involves things like emotions. And a lot of coaches are treating their clients like energy balance equations. So clients get... They're aware that they need to eat less somehow in order to lose fat, to make more beneficial choices, but they don't necessarily know how to do that. And rather than saying that someone isn't motivated enough or they don't want it enough, um, we should be allowing people or guiding people to find a better source of motivation. So why is this important to you? And if you're struggling, it's not because there's something wrong with you. It's not because you're lazy. It's not because you don't want it enough. It's because you're perhaps not clear on your values. And that's something that a coach should help guide you towards. Uh, But instead we're claiming that our clients are non adherent. Mm-hmm. And something that's very interesting, so the World Health Organization defines or makes it clear that there's a distinction between adherence um, and what was the other one? Compliance. <laughs> and compliance. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So there's a distinction between adherence and compliance. And adherence is born out of agreement. So it's not a dictatorship. It's a partnership between the client and the coach and the client has a voice in what they want to achieve and how they want to achieve it. So we should be listening to our clients because they are the experts in themselves and coming up with a collaborative approach that everyone's happy with. And then your client is more likely to adhere more likely to get results, and then everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. And we seem to be pathologizing things that are quite normal, you know, ambivalence. Um, we pathologize that as non-compliance or laziness or lack of motivation. And it's very common and absolutely normal to have two desires that are, that are at odds. You know, we want to perhaps lose body fat, but then we also want to, you know, be able to eat foods that are really energy dense. And so, you know, it can be difficult to navigate that. And it's not that this person doesn't want it enough. They actually want both of those things, but the source of motivation might be different. And maybe we haven't had a really productive conversation with them that allows them to better align their values and their goals. So we pathologize that. And then we ignore the potential pathology that might be arising when the client feels that their macro tracking is now in control of them and it's moved beyond being a tool and has become a crutch. So I think that's another thing is, you know, we have to move out of the black and white statement area of tracking your calories isn't disordered eating. Well, that's not even a useful statement, you know, because someone who is tracking their calories and doesn't have, uh, you know, any feelings about it and they're fine with it. Okay. Not, not a pathology there. That's great. But the person who feels that they are trapped by tracking calories Clearly, you know, if they see that statement, they might think, oh gosh, well, 
or maybe there's something wrong with me because I feel like this is uncomfortable, but everyone else thinks that it's yeah, normal. Everyone else is doing fine, which yes. is definitely not the case. And mm-hmm. that, again, that's something that we've been surprised about. The more that we talk about it, the bigger the response that we mm-hmm. get from people reaching out because yes. it's like, you're the only person that I know that actually understands how I'm feeling mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. everyone else does normalize these behaviors yes. and it's not normal to be trapped and yeah. to feel restricted. That's yeah. not okay. Exactly. I mean, we even um, have heard from coaches and people concerned about, you know, coaches who may have disordered eating habits. Um, and, and, you know, is there, do they, um, have the ability to recognize those in others? Are they perhaps, um, in a state of, you know, ambivalence or perhaps in a state of denial, or they just don't want to acknowledge that those behaviors are disordered because it's very painful and difficult for us to think like, you know, I, do I, do I not have my shit together? Am I harming someone else? Am I part of the problem? Um, but you know, I think we can just also remove the stigma from the idea of disordered eating habits. I mean, it's something that develops as a, um, it's, it's, it's an adaptive response, but it's a maladaptive response, right? So we're trying to navigate this environment in the best way that we can. And sometimes our brains will just default to, this is the best short-term solution that I have. So, um, you know, in the interest of our own survival, you know, we act in certain ways that might not be uh, for our benefit long-term. So I think, you know, just assuming that like, yeah, we're kind of, you know, we're doing our best here and that it's okay for us to say, yeah, you know what, I feel like this is uncomfortable and I don't want to keep doing this and I don't quite know how. And then we can start asking for help. I mean, I think it's the same mm. stigma that goes with any mental health mm. um, uh, illness. Like if you can't see it, then it doesn't exist. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I think that I, I couldn't agree more with what you both said there. And that's something that I kind of say in my intro to my podcast is helping people understand why they're in the position they are right now rather than focusing on just what they need to do and i think mm-hmm. that masks i've had so many people come in and they'll they'll obviously the goal most people's goal is body compositional changes it's understanding why they're in this position and it's not because they're a bad person it's not because they just lived a life you know having no adherence or struggling with willpower which is obviously gets Ugh a hell of a mm-hmm. lot you just haven't got no willpower but it's kind of until you get to know a client and an individual you can start to then pick it apart and then relate it back to them and say listen this is why you do these behaviors this is why these behaviors occur because of this happening in your lifestyle or your environment your social circle all those things that are contributing to putting you in that position so we need to try to look into them a little bit more rather than me just being this robotic arsehole personal trainer. Like there is a lot of them out there that will just say, yeah, you just got no willpower. You just don't want it enough. Um, this is, and and, mm. that. and it's no wonder people are developing these, these issues because the people within the industry that I love, by the way, obviously the fitness industry, we all love it. Sometimes they can be part of the problem and that's concerning. Absolutely. There's really no, um, you know, system of checks and balances. Like we don't have, you know, in, in most other industries, you know, when you have like a category of, of career type, there's some sort of code of ethics or, you know, institute of standards that you have to adhere to. And, um, you know, it's quite common in the healthcare industry. And really, when you think about it, you know, we are part of the healthcare industry and yet we don't adhere to anything like that. I mean, you have coaches who are, you know, they're sponsored and so they're selling supplements that don't do anything. And then they're, you know, making a bunch of money because they get their clients to buy this stuff. Or you have coaches that are, you know, really have no education in anything related to what they're trying to sell. I mean, how many gut health experts do we have now that are, you know, selling cleanses and stuff? And it's like, well, shouldn't you have at least like some background in that? But, you know, I mean, just something, I don't know. Um, or, or, you know, standards for certifications, just it's kind of a wild west. And, you know, it's not that we need to have total regulation of the industry and make it so that people can't enter it, but at least have some um, code of standards to say, hey, these are the best practices 
you know, this is based on the evidence. We know that, for example, you know, empathy is something that is really essential for, uh, for positive client outcomes. So we could just say like, Hey, you know, evidence shows empathy is important. Like, can we put that on a list somewhere just so that at least people have that reference so that we can, you know, maybe stop arguing about like, Oh, the tough love approach. Mm -hmm. Well, why is that a debate? You know, we have solid evidence to show that blame and shame and guilt are not effective motivational tools. Yes, exactly. exactly. Like the evidence is there. We just haven't really compiled it in a way to say, this is probably the best stuff to do. You can decide if you want to do it or not, but at least we have it there. And there are great coaches out there. Mm-hmm. It's just very difficult from a client's perspective to be able to identify mm-hmm. those great coaches when we don't have a system of checks and balances. Mm-hmm. So I think some things that you can look out for if you're kind of a bit concerned about your eating behaviors or the person that you're working with is something that we see is quite common is that coaches often blame the client for mm-hmm. a lack of he- adherence and fail to recognize their role in that they may be um, promoting certain behaviors or not doing enough to help the client initiate change. So if you feel like you're being blamed, shamed, being made to feel guilty about your behaviors, if you feel like you can't talk to your coach about how you're feeling and what you're struggling with, then that's probably a clear sign that maybe you need to look elsewhere. Or if you're on your own um, and you're trying to navigate all the information that's out there, then perhaps just assess yourself, like check up on yourself, see how you're doing with your eating behaviors. Mm -hmm. Is it something that you think about a lot? Is it something that causes you stress? If it's something that you're thinking about just because it's something you're learning more about, then I think that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. If you're beginning to feel limited and avoiding certain foods or avoiding certain Uh, situations like social occasions then that's probably when you should look elsewhere for advice like ask someone how to navigate things like this because there is no reason that you can't go out and still spend time with your family spend time with your friends you can do that and get results or you can also know that there is a time and a place to diet and you have to be in the right frame of mind before thinking about fat loss. So if your relationship with food or relationship with your body isn't quite where you think it will need to be, then ask yourself, do you think that anything will really change from losing fat? Or is there something that you could be doing first to help establish healthier behaviors and attitudes towards your food and yourself? And maybe that's something that's worth focusing on as well. Yeah, we quite often, I think, um, reach the conclusion that we will be happier or we will be able to accept ourselves when we feel that our bodies are acceptable to others. And that once we reach a certain number on the scale, we'll have a specific aesthetic. And then at that point, then we'll be able to work on a relationship with food. Um, And, you know, if you think about the things in your life that you care for, you tend to take really good care of those things and you speak kindly to them, to to those people rather. So you speak kindly to those people and um, you care for those people and you make sure that they're safe and they're fed. And, you know, when they make a mistake, you don't uh, hopefully berate them. You know, you speak to them with kindness and compassion and understanding and empathy. And if you find that you are not in, in that place with yourself, if you don't have that type of relationship with yourself, um, restricting yourself to a specific diet um, can can often be a sort of a form of, of a punishment. Um, and it can manifest in ways that might not be um, great for long-term mental and physical health. And the, the better you can uh, foster a loving relationship with yourself, you know, the more likely that you're going to have intrinsic motivations for caring for your body and pursuing health-seeking behaviors. And it may be that, you know, it's, it's just a time to put weight loss on the back burner. Sure, that can happen later. But if you really want it to be something that you, you sustain um, after you've met your goal, it's so beneficial to first, you know, establish a, a beneficial relationship with food and a loving relationship with yourself. And then it's just enjoyable to choose foods that um, feel good physically and, uh, mentally and are aligned with your values. And it's enjoyable to be physically active and it comes from a place of choice rather than a place of restriction and, and resignation, you know, just because you give yourself 
the unconditional permission to eat any food doesn't mean that you will choose to overeat um, on an abundance of foods for an indefinite amount of time. You may find that you have sort of an exploratory period, and this is part of the intuitive eating framework, that once you give yourself permission, after you have been restricted for a very long period of time, you may find that, yeah, you do uh, eat uh, larger amounts of food than feel physically comfortable, and you'll go for really um, you know, delicious foods. And I think people are afraid they'll get stuck in that, in that exploratory phase. And that's why, you know, talking about intuitive eating and, and sort of the rethinking of this framework, it's not just about the food. It's also doing a lot of the internal, emotional, and mental work so you can determine why you might want to eat and whether there's perhaps a better way to meet your emotional and mental needs um, that might not be food. And that may sound like something that's very difficult to do. But to give an example, if one of your values is to respect yourself, that's going to involve eating nutritious foods. And that's not going to evolve, uh, involve overeating continuously at every mealtime. You may do that on occasion because you're in a situation where the food's enjoyable, you're um, surrounded by nice people and you're just enjoying the moment. And then when you've got this value, when it comes to your next meal, you will just self-regulate anyway because you want to eat nutritious foods because that's what you need to be able to thrive and to flourish and feel good going about your life. And you can put that energy into all the other things that are important to you, mm -hmm. um, like spending time with people that you love or your work, um, your study, whatever it is that you've got going on. And when you really embody those values, you're not suddenly going to, I think people just get super scared that as soon as they let go of those restraints, that they're going to go crazy. Mm -hmm. And that's not what happens or it's not what's going to happen for the rest of your life. I think once you've, if you've spent a period of time being restricted, then it's completely normal to feel like you're overdoing it when you do let go of those mm -hmm. restrictions. But that it's not going to last forever because when you have permission, you also have a choice. If you're doing things out of a place of restriction, then you feel like you don't have a choice and that's really a negative place to get in. Um, so trying to get to that stage where you can fully give yourself permission. I think one thing that makes that easier is actually not being too concerned what happens to you. And that's kind of the point of the weight neutral approach, right? We're not saying weight loss is bad. We're not saying weight gain is bad. It's weight neutral. We're just saying, you know what? I'm going to focus on these behaviors and why I'm doing them, the intentions behind them, why it's important to me, and then see what happens. And what most people find, like especially when it comes to transitioning away from macro tracking, their weight really doesn't change that much. And even if it did, that's not what we're focusing on at that point in time. I think people um, just get really scared about this in their heads about what might happen. It's like, if you just relax and let yourself enjoy, you know, be mindful, then you're really not going to cause any harm to yourself. Mm -hmm. And we do have data that illustrates this too. I mean, intuitive eating is not a new thing. It's been around for about 25 years. Um, so we have cross-sectional data and then we just have longitudinal data. So intuitive eating principles are both a predictor of um, a, uh, you know, they, they call it like a normal eating pattern. It really just refers to eating um, a variety of foods within energy balance. Uh, and it is also uh, effective as an intervention to reduce binge eating disorder and binge eating episodes. It is also um, effective uh, along with diabetic education to reduce um, fasting blood glucose levels and uh, plasma lipid profiles. Uh, it's not associated with an increase in BMI, and it's not associated with an increase in quote-unquote junk food intake, and in some cases actually improves uh, indices of, of healthy diets. So, you know, looking at the evidence itself, we have plenty of it to illustrate that individuals who utilize intuitive eating principles and also individuals who focus on um, positive self-regard and, and encouraging self-talk uh, tend to have sort of a, 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 a nutritious diet that maintains energy balance and can improve health outcomes, can reduce disordered eating habits, and uh, you know also improves their um, long-term adherence to that eating pattern. So it's like, why would you, you know, I, I don't know why you would not want that for your clients, right? You know, an intuitive eating 
training is not intended as a weight loss tool. So I think that's not even an argument that we have to have. Like, oh, it won't lead to weight loss. Nope, it might not. And that's okay, because that's not what it's for. It's there to rehabilitate one's relationship with food and themselves. And then, you know, once you have that internal framework, okay, go ahead. You know, if you want to go through a fat loss phase at that point, it's probably going to feel uh, much easier and it will probably more be, be more sustainable afterwards as well. Yeah, I think when with so many people with who do have these yo-yo diets and they're kind of on and off the diet, the binge restrict cycle that they go through, what's your what's your thoughts on obviously with intuitive eating it's it is a weight neutral approach so for individuals that have always been following a certain diet they've been on and off the is it is this kind of because what i'm looking at it from now from a personal trainer standpoint more than anything it'd be great to get both your opinion on this obviously we get people in the door to improve body composition what 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 approaches do you you both take with somebody who does come in the door who does want this goal of improvement in body composition but they then display all these things of emotional eating binge eating tendencies and how do you get it across to that client that's that what they need to focus on because we know in current society people are they always want something now and if they do have a period of time where they may not lose any weight because they are following this intuitive approach which is going to be beneficial for them long term how do you get the buying for them individuals to to proceed with this and keep it going without carrying on back to the usual lifestyle again if that makes sense i think that is part of the problem because it is difficult to try to have that conversation with someone where you say you know what you've asked for my advice and my guidance and at this moment in time i believe that this is the best approach for you and weight loss may or may not be an outcome that's very difficult for someone to hear because mm -hmm. they're coming to you to lose weight and i think that's partly why coaches are apprehensive to have those conversations but i think it's really important that we do so mm -hmm. and i think it can go either way so if someone is an emotional eater and they've been binge eating then i definitely think a weight neutral approach is something that they need to figure out why this is happening what are their needs and if hunger isn't the problem then food will never be the solution it's not going to solve your problem and emotional eating is okay at times it's perfectly normal to actually want to satisfy your emotions with um, a glass of wine a bit of chocolate whatever it is but if that's the only way that you've got to deal with these emotions, then it's going to lead to negative health outcomes long term. So we do need other responses in addition to food on occasion to help deal with those emotions. So I think that's something that's really important. From a client perspective, you're actually going to get better results long term and you'll probably reach that stage that you want to be at faster by fixing your relationship with food first and figuring out what it is that's really going on. What do you really need? On the other hand, I have worked with people who have kind of yo-yo dieted in the past who wanted to try a macro tracking approach and it's worked fine because what they needed was simply to learn a little bit more about foods. Um, these are the kinds of people who have typically been choosing the healthy option, which just still involves um, too many energy dense choices. So a little bit of education can go a long way. So I think it comes down to the coach to be able to identify mm -hmm. what kind of behaviors the client is exhibiting and it may become apparent a little bit further down the line and that's when you still need to be constantly reassessing the approach that you're using to see if it's working if it's actually helping and if it's not then having these conversations even a few weeks in even one month in we shouldn't be afraid to say you know what I think maybe this is something that we need to focus on and you could you don't even necessarily have to address the weight loss or the weight gain because if you're using approach like macro tracking and it's not working, it's not working. Mm -hmm. So your client isn't seeing weight loss. Yeah. So you can continue to um, un let the client know that you're not undermining what they want to achieve, but this trying to show them how focusing on these things or trying to show them that the actions they're engaging in are moving them further away from their goals and their values. Mm -hmm. So something that we like to teach our clients is the difference between goals and values. So a goal is an outcome like weight loss, 
you know, a scale number. Um, and values are things that you can live by. So the value to respect yourself and to nourish your body with what it needs. If that's something you value, your kind of self-worth, your measurement of success isn't dependent on an outcome like the number on the scale. Because try as you might, you can't control what number is going to show up on the scale the next morning. You can't say, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be this. You can do behaviors that will indirectly lead to that result. And that's what we should be focusing on, doing those behaviors and why you're doing those behaviors. So bringing it back to values is something that people can work on straight away, no matter where they are. And I think that's really important. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of it comes down also to asking really powerful questions. So there are some um, therapy approaches as sort of subsets to self-determination theory, which dictates that individuals will be uh, more likely to succeed in something and to be intrinsically motivated if they have autonomy and feel that they're competent in doing so. And so um, some of the subsets include having conversations um, uh, it's called intrinsic coaching. So this is something that I'm, I'm newly exploring, but I was like, wow, I'm, I actually do this already. It's just cool that it's got a name. So with intrinsic coaching, you have conversations with your clients about their values. And so you're asking them, why is it important for you to lose weight? What is the meaning of this weight loss for you? And so if they're coming from a place of, I think this will be really good for my health and it'll help me um, play with my kids more and I'll be able to go hiking with my partner. That's a very different source of motivation than I hate my body and I just can't stand myself at this weight and I can't get my pants on and I'm so ashamed. How did I let myself get here? You know, that is an extrinsic source of motivation. That is that they want to lose weight so that they can avoid the shame and guilt that comes with their perceptions about their body weight. Whereas the other one, that's intrinsic. That's much more intrinsic. Some of those are extrinsic factors. But when we start to identify with that goal, that it's something that's part of our value system, then we can actually move to full-on intrinsic motivation doing this just because I enjoy it. You know, and there are many behaviors that we engage in that we do enjoy intrinsically that are also health-seeking behaviors. No one has to tell me to go hiking or to go to the gym or to eat vegetables. I love all of those things. Now, I'm not, I don't find it super enjoyable to be in an energy deficit, but at the same time, I can still appreciate the utility of that, and I can decide to do that for reasons that might be associated with my sport, for example, if I have a weight, uh, a weight class sport. But if, on the other hand, my, I'm striving for that weight class because my coach is telling me, you have to be at this weight, even though I'm not comfortable with that, completely different source of motivation once again. So it really comes down to asking your clients powerful questions and having those, those conversations with them so that ultimately, really, even if we know that something is going to be better for them or we think we have to avoid what's called the writing reflex, which is where we're trying to tell them, I think this is the right thing for you to do. This is what you should do. It's not going to work. We have to have, we have to evoke that decision within our clients. And sometimes that takes a long time and you start by meeting with them where they are and you come up with a shared set of expectations and an agreement and if you find that where they are, meeting them halfway is outside of your personal code of ethics, then that's a time when you can refer them out. And I've done that before where I couldn't meet a client halfway because what they wanted for me was something that I felt uncomfortable providing to them. And I said, you know, I'm really sorry. I, I really enjoyed working with you at this point. I think someone else might be a better fit for you. And, you know, we have to be able to do that um, in a number of ways, too, because there might be some coaches that, you know, don't want to have these conversations. They don't want to take that approach. That's okay. That's your right as a coach. But you have to be transparent about that, too. Yeah. yeah you some of the questions that you, they can start asking themselves as well. So any listeners now, ask yourself these questions that Gabrielle's just mentioned there. And are you doing this for intrinsic motivation? Are you doing it because you want to play with the grandchildren? Are you doing it because you hate the way you look? And that can kind of determine then what approach you do take. I take it um, in terms of do you go down the dieting route to lose body fat and you're in a good place to do it? Or with your answer saying you hate the way you look, you hate the way you feel, all those things, then it might be a place to say, you know what, you're not ready to diet just yet, but that's okay. 
because you can still make progress without necessarily calling it a diet or being on a diet. And that's something I massively share with a lot of my clients as well is getting them to engage in healthy behaviors and how I say what I say to them as well from my own standpoint, because I don't track calories. I don't do all these things. I, I basically say to them, I go to bed the same time and get up at the same time every day because I don't want to be a zombie for you guys. And then they go, oh, that makes sense. And I say, and I eat protein because I train and it, it matches that. And I don't want to fall down the grid because I've got no muscle mass because it's very easy for me to lose muscle mass. And, and they start to understand it then and realize, and I, say, and I move a lot because when I sit on a plane for 12 hours, I feel like shit. And then they yeah. get it a little bit where they're like, that, that actually makes sense. And I'm like, so you can approach it in exactly the same way for your own reasons. And as a byproduct, you will probably improve your body composition, but not kind of mess up your mind as well. And, I, and, I, and that, that's the big one, isn't it? We're constantly talking about a calorie deficit in terms of physically, but a lot of people they need a calorie deficit in the head because of all this emotion, this negative stuff that's going on in there. That's what they need to sort out in, in, in mm -hmm. hindsight to get them closer to where they actually want to be. Um, I think it'd be a good place to go into some of the strategies that you both kind of look into with the intuitive eating approach and the weight neutral approaches to how people can start to put this together. Now they understand the importance of it and what they can actually do within their own life right now and start to understand, obviously you can go into like understanding internal and external hunger cues, factors. What are all these things driving people to be in the position they're in right now? And what are some of the tools and tips and strategies that you, you both have that can help people put them in the right direction without necessarily dieting? Yeah, so something we talk about a lot is the difference between the external environment and the internal environment. So your internal environment is something that we tend to neglect. And the thing is, because we're not disregarding anyone's want to look a certain way, we're just asking you, why do you want that? That's the thing. And the stronger your internal environment, the more control you have, because you can engage in these behaviors um, to get like a sense of, they can be empowering, you know? It's awesome to have uh, physique goals or to have athletic goals, but you just have to be in a strong position internally mentally in order to do that so i think the values exercise is a really useful tool to be able to determine why it is you want to achieve the things that you think you want to achieve and then from there you can have a look at the behaviors that you're engaging in mm -hmm. and ask yourself are these behaviors moving me closer or further away from my values and if they're moving me further away what can I do instead to move myself closer so the goal is not that every single behavior has to move you closer to your values you just want to shift so you want less of the behaviors that are moving you away and more of the behaviors that are moving you towards so that's something you can do right now you can just sit down write out your values you know I really value the relationships that I have with the people in my life and list the people that are important to you and then you can list your values regarding yourself as well like I have respect for myself that's something that's important to me I respect my health and I want to be around and I want to be here a good impression for my kids I want to be around for a long time all of the things in your life that are important to you and then as I say you can list those behaviors that you think may be moving you away and what you can do about those and trying to come get to the root of it figure out why you're still engaging those behaviors because as we've said it is perfectly normal to feel ambivalent about changing you can want two conflicting things mm -hmm. at the same time so just sit down and highlight those behaviors and really explore why they're happening mm -hmm. um, a few exercises that i use quite often with my clients. Um, I've sort of adapted and borrowed from the mindful eating cycle that was developed by Michelle May. And she has a wonderful book called Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat. Um, and, and one thing that she brought up that I thought was so great was that, you know, we talk about loving food, like we love to eat, but we don't behave in ways that illustrate a love because quite often we're eating while distracted. We're eating um, mindlessly and rapidly and, you know, without any um, acknowledgement 
acknowledgement of really our experience with the food or hunger satiety signals. And we certainly wouldn't interact with humans that we love in that way. You know, we want to pay them close attention. And so when we give ourselves the permission to eat food with enjoyment and awareness and attention, that can really allow us to cue in and clue in and tune in to see how much we're really enjoying that food because quite often when we pay close attention we might find that that food isn't actually as enjoyable as we thought it was going to be or as enjoyable as it was when it was an off-limits food now you can have this at any time maybe you have it later maybe you wait until you're really hungry and then you eat just enough of it until you're not hungry and so that ties in with mindful eating. So that's eating with attention and intention. So you set an, an intention for that meal. How do I want to feel after I've finished eating this? Well, most people want to feel better. We might have an idea for how full we want to feel after a meal. We can also um, use that interoceptive awareness to determine how hungry we are right now and then how much food we might need to satisfy that hunger. It, it, it takes practice to be able to identify satiety and it takes time. So sometimes we might have to eat a little bit less than we think we might want to eat and then just check in and see how full we are. And so we don't have to do any sort of counting or tracking for that. It's literally just what foods do I know digest well? And at this time of day, you know, do I want to have like more carbs or more fat, you know, protein so we can apply all of those things and put them in kind of a package together for how I want to experience this meal. When we talk more about the internal environment, um, oh, you know, as Shannon brought up, we emphasize so much the external environment and so many coaches are like, well, control your external environment. Don't keep tasty foods around. Make your food really bland and tasteless so you won't want to eat it. That might work for some people, but it ranks really low on the satisfaction factor, which is different from the satiety scale. Satiety is just, I don't have physical uh, hunger. Satisfaction is mental and emotional and physical. People will eat past the point of satiety because they're not satisfied because they're like, that meal sucked. That didn't really hit the spot. What else will hit the spot? So sometimes if we eat something that's very satisfying, we actually will eat less overall because that meal was what we needed. So we have to acknowledge that we are going, we live in an attempting food environment and we won't always be able to control our external food environment. But what we can do is be in charge of our internal environment and how we respond to that external food environment. So another thought, um, pro, uh, another thought experiment that I use with my clients, um, it also borrows from Michelle May, and I've added one more letter to it, but it's TFAR. It's you have a thought, you have a feeling that comes from that thought, you have an action in response to that feeling, and then you have a result. And if that result is not something that you want to uh, experience again, then you have C, which is how would you change your initial thought to elicit a different feeling. So a lot of people have thoughts like, I can't control myself around food. If I give myself permission to eat everything, I'm gonna eat everything. And that leads to fear and anxiety. And so their action is that they don't ever give themselves full permission, but they still end up having those counter-regulatory eating experiences. And then they, they, they're not happy with the result, but they don't know that they can change that thought. And it is, you know, it's, it is understandably, um, a little bit overwhelming to think of doing that. And you don't necessarily have to do that with every food and go to the store and buy all the foods that you've been restricting. It's completely fine to start with one food that you find to be just kind of tempting and give yourself permission to eat that food at any time. And what you're doing is you're building situational self-confidence or self-efficacy that, hey, I did it with this food last time. I bet I can do it with this next food. And I bet I can do it with this next food. And that's not something that like is just a, a daydream. This is something that I have seen repeatedly in clients as we work through this process. And quite often they start out with, I, I still want to lose weight. I want to track or something. Okay, you know, we can start there and work through this process together at your self-directed pace. And they still end up, you know, with much more freedom with around food and a better relationship with food. And they can think about food less and enjoy it more and have so much more mental energy for the other parts of life. I think one final exercise that you can try as well is to try to observe your thoughts rather than identifying with your thoughts because you are not your thoughts. And one good, a good illustration of this is to think about a sushi, tra a sushi train. So you've got 
sushi along the train and some of those sushis are great sushis some of them are neutral sushis and some of them are crap sushis that you don't want to touch <laughs> so what you can do is think of those um sushi plates as your thoughts so throughout the day you're going to have positive thoughts you're going to have neutral thoughts and you're going to have negative thoughts and you can stand back and observe those thoughts and how they make you feel for example if i said to you right now think just keep telling yourself that you can't raise your arm. So you're thinking, I can't raise my arm. I can't raise my arm. And if I said, raise your arm, you can put your arm up, right? Mm -hmm. your, th your thoughts don't control you. And if you can get that space between you and your thoughts and observe them, you can then try to reappraise them. So you can change them because mm -hmm. they don't determine your future or your actions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's good. It's, 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 the, it's kind of taking a step back and looking in, isn't it? and the whole situation and to understand this and when a lot of people say to themselves when they go on a diet and they say things like i'm not going to eat any chocolate it's mm. like that's not really a strategy that's not going to yeah. work like and this yeah. to eat and like you said change the thought process behind it can be changed because we know people have attempted this a million times and they're still in the same position that they're in. And you mentioned Michelle May. The, I, I like the mindful eating cycle that she has, mm. which why do I eat? Um, yes. When do I want to eat? What do I want to eat? How do I eat? How much do I eat? And where do I invest my energy? I think yes. when you pick them apart like that, it's, it does give people that, that thought process before it happens and understand that whys that we've been speaking about. And yes. you did a post not long ago that I really liked, Gabrielle, saying, meeting your needs with other snacks. Yeah. That, that was my clients. I sent it to <laughs> loads of my clients. And, and, it's, and it's that um, understanding of when Shannon mentioned it before, if you know, hunger's not the issue, then food isn't necessarily the solution. And yeah. what can we, what needs filling in your life to replace food if obviously mm -hmm. you are trying to lose weight and you understand these things? And I had um, Steve Taylor on who works for 3DMJ a while ago. Oh, yeah. And he mentioned when people have an uncomfortable feeling, they're reaching for food to kind of get rid of that uncomfortable feeling. And it's that we need to sometimes look to replace because we're always going to get them uncomfortable feelings, but yes. replace it with, like you mentioned, another snack. So it'd be great to just touch upon that really in terms of when people are feeling the desire, the urge to eat, mm. all these emotions kicking in in people's lives that are mental and crazy. We, we can't really control them. Yeah. What are these other things and how you approached it with other snacks? I just thought it was pretty cool. Oh, thanks. Um, so I... Uh... So it was based on um, this other exercise that Michelle does. It is, um, it, it's just a fill in the blanks. It's when I blank, I feel blank. I need blank and I will blank. And quite often it's, you know, when I'm stressed I, or, or when I come home from work, I feel stressed. I need, and people will be like a snack yeah. <laughs> and I will, you know, eat something. And when we really think about what do you actually need in that moment? And this is something that I did for myself because, you know, I've been nomadic for a while now and travel sometimes because I'm actually super introverted. Um, sometimes, <laughs> yeah, when I would be around people all day or I get to a new place, I noticed that I had this, because this is also a why do I eat kind of thing. I thought about why do I, when were there times when I'm thinking like, why am I eating right now if I'm not hungry? But sometimes it would be like when I would reach my destination, I would feel kind of frazzled and uh, maybe a little stressed out and I needed to feel centered. And one way that I did that was like, okay, you know, have a snack, like make myself a, 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 a familiar meal and like eat and it's probably due to like you know having a crazy childhood and growing up you know with with food insecurity that that to me was a thing my brain said oh this makes me feel safe and so i thought okay well in that moment you know when i get to my destination i feel a little bit discombobulated i, I need to feel centered and instead of i will eat because i don't really need the energy at that moment i said i will lie on the floor and do some belly breathing and some meditation. Have a nap. Yeah, have a nap. So what I conceptualized there was that 
you know, if we're thinking about snacks, like I want to have a snack right now. And I, I, this came up when I, this was work. I was working with a client and I started with a sleep snack. She said, cause we were talking about, you know, she's tired at the end of the day and she, you know, she goes for a snack and I said, well, if you're tired, can you take a nap? Can you have a sleep snack instead? And she was like, oh my gosh, that's such a great idea. And then we came up with this idea of like, there's so many other types of snacks that you can have. Now, eating food is still a viable and valid decision. If that is your decision, it's okay. There's no right or wrong. There's no rules here. It's just knowing that if you're eating when you're not hungry, your body may store that energy. And that might not be a result that you want. And it might also be that if you have a need for something else, food is not going to meet that need, like Shannon said. So I thought, okay, what are the other things that people usually need? They need companionship. They need sleep. They need rest. They need fun. I had one client who realized that she was uh, eating for fun so often because she didn't let herself have fun. The only times that she was taking a break from work and school was to eat. And so her brain was like, okay, food is fun now. And so if we are not, you know, like this is our only source of fun. And it was like, well, what are other things that you can do that are fun? And so I came up with the idea of like a leisure snack or a touch snack, which mm -hmm. a lot of people, <laughs> people really were interested in the touch snack. And, you know, there are different flavors of these snacks too. So you can have all different kinds of touch. You can have all different kinds of leisure. You can have different kinds of movement, you know, and not to say that it has to be exercise specifically, but sometimes, but just joyful movement, whatever movement makes you feel good. And it might be that the leisure and movement snacks overlap and that's awesome. Now you're kind of meeting two different needs. So, so that's where that came from. Just looking at, you know, why do I want to eat right now? Because I feel lonely. Well, mm -hmm. then maybe it would be good to reach out to a friend and, and have a, a companion snack. Don't eat them. Don't eat the friend. <laughs> no, that, 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 that is literally a really, really great point to a lot of people to take on board because it happens so often. It's not just necessarily emotional as well. People eat even when they're happy and there's, yeah. there's so many things going on, isn't there? So it's like, it's understanding all these things and understanding this environment and internal hunger cues, all these things that can to help hopefully make people get in a better mindset upstairs in the head so then they can action all these things in their life without it being the the diet, not diet. And what I like about you, you two is your approach to this is not one way or the other because I know that you're very big on the old dieting front as in when you've got clients that want to diet and I know that you're very smart in that area, both of you. And then you've took this, other approach which is not like as some people are doing both ways by the way that are arguing and I think you mentioned in that one of your posts Gabrielle not long ago is that a lot of people are arguing from the the intuitive eating health at every size area to the diet culture and what this is doing is just leaving the general population more and more confused with what to do rather than understanding it from their own personal perspective which way they should go because I've met so many people that have changed their life through dieting and I've also met some people who have changed their life probably following the approach of not necessarily focusing on dieting and focusing on changing the mindset that has also changed their life and it's just finding that happy medium isn't it mm, that's the thing these aren't two incompatible ideas right everyone you know it's we should all be respecting our bodies yeah Exactly. So, and I think that's part of the reason that we wanted to write the article is just to be like, why is everyone arguing? Yes. Because it actually doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's sort of like arguing about, about ideas that are not, you know, um, and, and even, um, uh, oh, the, the woman who's associated with Hayes, Linda Bacon. Yeah. yeah. She has said, you know, I never said that there are no benefits to weight loss. Like she, mm. she just didn't say that weight loss in, in itself is a bad thing. It's Chinese whispers. isn't it? Yes, exactly. Yes. It's the game of telephone where one person says something to the next and then the message is so distorted, you know, by the time it's posted on Instagram, 
it, who, who knows? And, you know, it's, it's also puzzling to me because it's not like there aren't resources on this stuff. I mean, there's a book on intuitive eating. Yeah. Um, I've actually, I've had, uh, I had Evelyn Triboli. She was gracious enough to review my Instagram post on intuitive eating. And she gave me some feedback to make sure that it was, you know, aligned with their true message. Yeah. Um, so I read the book. There's, t there's tons of articles, you know, that are out there more than I've had the time to read. Um, there's a great deal of evidence. There are intuitive eating coaches and practitioners and haze aligned practitioners. You can go to the actual source rather than just the loud voices that are yelling across the divide. You can actually go and read the literature yourself. And it really does illustrate that weight neutral approaches and weight loss approaches. This is kind of funny. They're both equally effective at uh, at, at resulting in weight loss. That is to say that the resulting weight loss is minimal. Mm. <laughs> and we see that there are health benefits to both approaches that both individual, both groups might improve, you know, fasting blood glucose and uh, lipid uh, profiles. But what can happen with the weight focused group is that sometimes that can lead to disordered eating habits or exacerbate binge eating episodes. So if we have the choice between two approaches that we could choose between, and we know that there are risks for one and that the other one might not be aligned with someone's goals, we can just choose what's best in that moment. We don't have to say that one is better than the other. Yeah. You know, we don't have to stigmatize weight loss or weight gain. You know, we shouldn't be stigmatizing weight change because that makes people fearful of weight gain. And it makes people think that, you know, these weight neutral approaches are repugnant because they don't result in weight loss. They have to be useless. Yeah. So, you know, take that out of the equation and just look at, are we trying to make people healthier mentally and physically? If that's not your goal, maybe be clear about it yeah yeah be clear about it you know Watch out. Yes. Wait, wait with me. <laughs> yeah because i don't care yes at least be transparent you know if that's your if you are a coach and like that's you know you're not trying to make people mentally and physically healthier um then at least be transparent about that because that's where we get into the idea of informed consent where mm -hmm. a client has to be able to provide informed consent like if your coach has not told you like here are the risks and benefits of this approach here's where it's going to be difficult here's where it's going to be efficient just you know and then tell me what obstacles you think you're going to be facing if you haven't had that discussion that's um an opportunity to bring up you know that discussion that you want to have that and if they're not willing to have those discussions, then that's a sign that, you know, um, maybe there's another person who might be a better fit for you and, and you know, have long-term interests in mind. Yeah, that's exactly how I approach it anyway, with obviously the questions that I'm asking my clients before they start working with me is I kind of mm -hmm. touch upon these things. I even have an environment questionnaire that tells me about their environment and things like that, as in what's, what's going on in the household, what's going on in the work. And then that helps me touch wood so far i've been able to help people with the weight loss and improve these factors that we've been speaking about but yes. it is very important to i have also said to people there is a time and a place to step on the gas with the fat loss and now is not the right time because yeah. mm -hmm. we need to sort these other areas out plus yeah i'm being real with them and saying your lifestyle is not going to match you dieting right now you have six skiing trips in the next month <laughs> like, <laughs> you really want to try and get lean when you're going to skiing six times this month yeah the client who listens to this will know that's probably about <laughs> but anyways i know that you've got to shoot gabrielle but just before you go um because this was a really interesting chat and i'm sure we could go down into more information on this because it is such a, a big big broad topic and one that definitely needs to be spread a lot more because I totally agree with everything that you've both said today. Do you want to just give the listeners a little bit of a rundown on the work, where they can find this uh, bridging the gap work that you're both doing and when's the next one coming out and what's next for you both on this area? Yeah. The, um, so the bridging the gap series is, um, I can give you the ones I'm that are associated with me and Shannon can mm -hmm. give you the ones that are associated with her, but um, it can be found on my website, vitaminphdnutrition.com. It can also be found at renaissanceperiodization.com um, and on Stronger Experts and uh, I believe on Revive Stronger as well. 
Um, so we are looking to release the next one in probably the next couple weeks. Yeah, um, it will be soon. Yeah, it's pretty much there. Yes, so. and uh, might be coming out in two parts rather than one part. So it might be a total of, a, uh, it's going to be a four to five part series. Um, so it's going to be pretty extensive. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, um, they can shoot me a message on Facebook or Instagram at vitamin PhD. Uh, and they can also email vitamin PhD nutrition at gmail.com. Um, and, you know, and please do, because we really appreciate the feedback that we've been mm. getting, uh, especially on Instagram. I mean, it's, it's great to know that people are, are really, um, receptive to this message yeah. and, you know, the more that we can get this dialogue going, the better everyone will be. More better outcomes for everyone, yes. better results for clients, but also yes. people, you know, you're actually going to get where you want to be and yeah. be in a better position. Exactly. Um, you can also find the articles on the Flex Success website. And I will mention as well, just because if macro tracking is something that you do want to move away from, this is something that we've spoken a lot about. And we do have a book called Life After Dieting, um, which will help that is specifically designed for those people who struggle to let go of macro tracking and kind of finding your life again. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm over on Instagram as well at Shannon Beer underscore, or you can find me on the Flex Success page, which is Flex underscore success. Yeah, awesome. I testified to the book, Shannon, which I've read it and it's fantastic. So, um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of listeners will get a lot from today's episode and the resources that you're both doing. But I'll let you go and, and it's really lovely to get you both on. And thank you again for coming on and sharing your wisdom in this area. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Fat Fix podcast. And I hope you all enjoyed today's show. If you have not already, please make sure you subscribe and you don't miss out on any future episodes. I also can't stress enough how much it means to me, to those that have left me a star rating and written review on iTunes. This will ultimately help me reach more people like you and really help them too. So please give me two minutes of your time to do this if you haven't already. Lastly, any shares and mentions on social media is also massively appreciated. I will see you very soon for the next episode. Thank you very much.